And I think, truthfully, I think a lot of founders, especially when you get to a certain level, like that spotlight's bright and it's kind of fun. Like it's fun to be there. And, and he never fell for it. And he was always like more focused on growing his company and more focused on his product. And and that that's something I, I really admire now that I've been over here because there are a lot of people like there are a lot of people that want to stroke your ego. Like it's a lot of like like being a founder when things are going well is like it's very validating. It's very good for your ego. And to not lean into that and let it take your business off course is, is like it take a, like I don't know that I would have been able to do it myself had I not seen him do it as kind of like from a from like a mentorship perspective. The Six Beers Podcast. Hello. Hello, hello. Um, so We've we been gone a while. This is almost like season two, I this feel is, like. This is season two, yeah. We could just say it was that. Mostly it was me and Nick had to take a break to graduate. Well, you more than I did, but. Yeah, well, you were part of the celebration. That's true, that's true. It was kind of. Um, but we just had a conversation with Forrest Richter. He's a co-founder of a company called Uncrowd that connects underrepresented founders with um, investors. And that was just acquired by a company called Startup Fuel in Toronto. Yeah, he was awesome. Um, I mean, just very easy to talk to. Um, yeah, wait, what was the word that we kept talking about being? Authentic. Uh, authentic, yes. Yeah. He's very authentic. Um, and it just... It made for a really great conversation. Got some great advice from him. Kind of broke down the whole process of what it was like for him to, you know, make a company and then have it get acquired. So, also, Go Bucks. Go Bucks. Wednesday, July twenty-first. The Bucks won the NBA title about twenty-two and a half hours ago. Yep. And it was thrilling. That was quick math. And yeah, Milwaukee was alive. So we talk about that a little bit. Thanks for returning. And we'll be back with some more episodes shortly. Thanks. Happy listening. The Six Beers Podcast presented by Nick Bauman and Ashlyn Galbraith. I was going to drink an IPA, but I forgot to put it in the fridge. So... I, I am drinking a hazy IPA from Eagle Park called um, Things We Don't Say. I don't know if you can see it. I should turn my background off so you can see it because it's actually pretty cool. Um, um, called Things We Don't Say. And it is a, a mental health advocacy beer. So on the back, it says it's okay not to be okay. And it has a whole bunch of like support numbers you can call. Uh, um, so really cool. Really cool program. Yeah. Wow. That's really neat. I didn't know they were doing that. I love Eagle Park. My wow. favorite beer is their milkshake IPA. I love um, Eagle Park too. I think like, mm-hmm. like genuinely, like I think they make the best hazies that, that, just around like not not necessarily just locally like if i had my choice i would be drinking theirs i agree and you go drink the beer too yeah (laughs) and you're from milwaukee right do you still live here yeah still in in milwaukee i live on the south side in bayview so how was last night did you go to the craziness of that it it was pretty crazy i'm i'm a little too old to be hanging out down at the deer district so i wasn't (laughs) down there but we did pull our TV outside and had some friends over and neighbors were shooting off fireworks. It was dope. That sounds better. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. yeah was- I didn't make it down to the deer district either. It, it seems like, um, I mean, I love the box. It would have been great to be there, but it truly just seemed like a lot of work to get down there after work and then try to hey, find man. a parking spot and then try to get back for, to wake up for my, eight to five so <laughs> yeah that would have been, it would have been a lot i i know some people that were down there they no nobody had any regrets but they said it wasn't the, their favorite thing in the world yeah, <laughs> they had to be it there it certainly but wouldn't go smoothly really. but you kind of you have to try at least yeah we were at a bar on water street and a friend and i went to get pizzas so they let you like go get pizzas and bring them back in sure. and we're gone like 20 minutes 
and there was no line at the bar at all. And by the time we got back, there was like a 15 and 20 minute line and a cover. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> That's what you get for being the one who offers to her. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Really were nice. you out on, were you out on water when the shots got fired? So yeah, we were actually inside brothers when we, we were about to leave and then we heard about that. And so we, we stayed for a little bit extra. Smart. Wow. Pretty, I didn't even know about that. This is my first hearing it. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. Unfortunately, yeah. it's been kind of a, kind of a common thing to have shots fired on water street this summer. Yeah. I have heard of like a few before and yeah, now, now it's just cops lined the streets. Which I guess it's better safe than sorry, but yep. it's clearly not stopping at all. Um, I so if we jump into it, um, so your company Uncrowd was recently acquired um, by Startup Fuel. Yes, which is pretty exciting, and I guess it's kind of public now too. Um, do you want to go into kind of the process of how that all went down? Is what you can say about it um, from yeah. kind of hearing kind of beginnings to it actually happening. Um, kind of your feelings and emotions about all that. Specifically around the acquisition? Um, yeah, we can start. Yeah, we can start there. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. So the acquisition was good timing. Um, good timing and good opportunity. Um, so I was introduced to Ash, who's the CEO of founder of Startup Fuel, which is a Toronto-based company. And he and I were just doing kind of a 30-minute intro call. And like, honestly, it was like the the business version of love at first sight. Like we were, our 30 minute call went for 90 minutes and we were just talking about all the different ways we could work together and really strong mission alignment. Like he was, so we built Uncrowd to try to connect underrepresented startup founders with investors. He was also interested in helping, um, you know, underrepresented founders kind of figure out ways to make their entrepreneurial dreams happen. Um, their product was a lot further than ours in terms of like roadmap. Um, we had some stuff to offer though, that was unique. And he was, he really like, he was the one that was kind of like pitched a big idea where he was like, like, I was thinking, you know, oh, yeah, like maybe we'll partner and you can be like our Canadian friends and we'll be your United States friends. Um, and he was like, no, no, no. Like I want us to be working together. And I was like, okay, well, reality is like, you got to buy us out then. Like, I can't just like, like I even like, even if I want to do that, like I'm, I have a fiduciary responsibility to like keep making smart choices for this other company. And, and he was like, okay, that's fair. Like, let me go back to the table and crunch some numbers and see what I can do. And so he and I, like kind of the first conversations were pretty loose. Like after that, it was, you know, just high level, like acquisition conversations. Like, what would you guys need? What would you need? Um, he and I actually got to a pretty close place um in a hurry like we were we we both kind of saw the advantages of this it made sense for both of us um but then it kind of had once we got to a place where we were like you know not writing contracts yet but like let's go talk with these terms like on our respective sides i had to go back to my co-founders um he had to go back to his investors and say like hey this is real like we're really strongly considering it we got to start thinking about what we do and don't want within this and, and if we're okay with this and what it's going to mean um, from our side, my co-founders in Uncrowd were more concerned with the mission than, than they were with kind of any of the actual like dollar amounts or equity or any of that. They were, we, we all kind of had other projects and at some point Uncrowd becoming our full-time job would have been amazing and we would have loved it, but it wasn't the thing that was like paying the bills for any of us. We were doing it because we wanted to make an impact and my co-founders were concerned that kind of selling, would we be literally selling out? Like, would we, would we be like selling out the mission? And, and so that became really important to us to kind of like make sure that, that this was still going to be used to help um, founders who need help. And um, Startup Fuel was on board with that. Um, we had to, we ended up doing like a collective meeting with their lead investor to kind of just learn a little bit more about us and, and how we might be able to contribute. So that we kind of got through like the second ring and then the third ring was um, like the lawyers, like where legal's involved and we're like actually hammering out a contract. And my lawyers are telling me, if I, I don't know if you guys have worked with lawyers before. <laughs> lawyers are really good. Like I, I love them. I, I have a, a love-hate relationship with lawyers. Like 
they genuinely are super helpful. Like you need them, but they have this way of like always, always identifying like this one worst case scenario and, and like, cause they, it's like their job, but they'll be like, okay, so this contract's pretty tight. Like, I'm not really worried about anything, but if, if this one thing happens, like you're going to be screwed entirely, it's unlikely, but you'll be totally screwed. And we'll be like, okay, like how do we tighten it up? And it'd be like, well, you're going to have to ask for X, Y, and Z to tighten it up. Okay. And, and so it's just like a lot of back and forth in those, in those things. Um, and then this was an especially tricky one because, um, the, the stuff, special sauce for uncrowd uncrowd had some assets that were great uh we had a, a, a stronger presence in the united states there was a little bit of our technology that was valuable but as i said their tech was ahead of ours anyway so some of the things that they were trying to get from us was a little more strategic from like our leadership side uh, my background's in ops nadia my our technical co-founder she's a computer scientist and then adam was a is a data scientist and there so there were some things that like they wanted us to things we were planning to build out for uncrowd that he wanted us to build out for startup fuel. And that was a contingency of the acquisition for, for lack of a better way to phrase that. So we had to, we were all on board with that. Like that was all cool. Like it made sense to us, but it's really hard to explain that in a contract in a way that everyone feels safe. So like they were worried that they would pay us all this money and give us like buy the company. And then we just wouldn't follow through. We were worried that we would do all this work, like not focusing on our company, do all this work for them, build out some things for them, and then they wouldn't follow through. So it was kind of these two specific, like unlikely edge cases that we had to work through and find something. And so ultimately we found like uh, in contract terms, like a poison pill where like, it's gonna suck really hard for either side if we don't follow through. <laughs> and so that that's essentially where where we got to, and then it, everything got across the finish line, and it's been it's been a really good experience so far. Wow! And when did that all um, close up? Really recently. Um, so contract, I would say conversations started in May, and we wrapped things up by end of June. Okay, so that when you said that moved quick, it it really did move quick. It did move fast, yeah. That's um, exciting. You and everyone's held up their ends of the bargain so far. So far, yeah. So far, we have <laughs> not had any troubles. Everyone's been cool, which is what my hope was. I mean, this is like again, this is why lawyers exist because like we all. I'm just a collaborator in general. Like, I'm just like, oh yeah, everyone's going to be cool. And then lawyers are like, no, not everyone is going to be cool. Like, hopefully <laughs> everyone is cool, but I'm going to protect you in case they're not cool. You it know, is the Midwest kindness. We trust everyone. So. I know. I know. Um, you mentioned that there were some, I guess, some people felt like there might've been some misaligned incentives or misaligned guys in the mission. Um, how are you guys able to work through that? and kind of get some confirmation that the mission um, working with startup field would still be intact. Yeah, it, it wasn't as so much um, misalignment. It was more just startup fuel was a little broader and we wanted to make sure that some of the, some of the tools and ideas that we were building out for Uncrowd could be integrated into startup fuel. And, and actually Ash ended up doing that before we even joined to just allow for better visibility for underrepresented founders. So when we first started talking, they didn't have filters to support female founders, filter to support um, founders of color, filters to support, you know, veteran founders, things like that. And, and he built all of that out before, like, he was like, yeah, I, you know what, he, he was like, you know, I'm not, if you're cool, like, I don't want to steal your technology, but like, yes, like, that's exactly who we want to be too. Like, let's make it happen. Awesome. It's really exciting to see how far it's come, but I guess I'm curious to hear about how it started too. I mean, how did you meet your co-founders and when did you decide this is something that you were just going to go for? Yeah. So I, ooh, sorry, all of a sudden I got some weird echo. Um, <laughs> I, um, I, I really, all things considered, given like what's happened in my career, um, it has not been a particularly long time that I've been involved in venture funding. Um, it was really back like, uh, I do some quick math, like six years ago, six or seven years ago is like when it all first kind of started. Um, I left a traditional corporate role 
and got into my first startup role. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was, I was like not prepared for it, but I knew I, I was really making that move for culture reasons. I was like, I just want to work at a startup. I want to be done. Um, and so I got really great experience, uh, like working with an early stage company and helping them scale up. And I got exposed to venture funding and I just was like, especially as an ops guy who like, I basically like my brain just automatically goes to like inefficiencies. I'm like, how do we do this better? How do we, you know, how do we make this faster? How do we make this easier? It was such a convoluted process. And we were a good startup, like in the scheme of like pools of startups, like we were scaling, we were growing, we had great traction, we had existing investors. And I like couldn't even get meetings with investors. And I was like, what is happening? Like, am I doing something wrong? Like, isn't it these people's job to meet with me? Like, isn't that their whole job, like as investors to meet with founders and figure this out? And I just couldn't figure it out. And I did a bunch of research um, because like, I, I genuinely just assumed like I didn't know something. I was like, oh, well, I'm not, you know, this is new to me. I didn't go to school for it. Like there's probably something that I don't know. And it turns out like, no, like it's just really hard. It's a, like very gatekeep, very gatekeeping. And majority of capital goes to, you know, for lack of better explanation, straight white dudes on the coast. Like that's who get it's straight white dudes on the coast giving money money to other straight white dudes on the coast. And that's still today, truthfully. Uh, it, it's a little better, but incrementally. Um, and so at the time, the message from investors, because this would come up still, like people would say like, hey, why aren't you investing in women? Like female founders, like rep, female women represent, you know, 51 and a half percent of the population. They represent 4% of venture funding. And, um, and, and so there'd be questions all the time that would be like, like, why aren't you investing in more women? Like, why is your portfolio all just tech bros? And, and the answer from founder or investors at the time was pipeline problem. They would say like, Hey, you know, like I just, all I want to do is make money. It's a, but it's a pipeline problem. Like I don't see those founders. Those founders don't exist. They're not coming into my pipeline. If they're here and I can make money off them, I will invest in them. I have no, I don't care what anyone looks like. As long as I'm making money, I will invest. So we hear this pipeline problem narrative all the time. And just for me, I was like, well, that seems like super solvable. Like, like I can tell you from a founder perspective, like I'm like doing weird email outreach and asking for intros. Like if there was a website where I could go to and just be like, raise my hand and say, I would like to meet with investors and investors could say like, cool, you mark all the, you check all the boxes that I care about. Like I'll, I'll meet with you. Like that seemed like a pretty easy thing to do. Um, and but I so it was just kind of in the back of my head for a little while because they're just that still doesn't exist. There are kind of sites that dance around it, but it's surprisingly simple technology that is just not that uh, developed and, and certainly not culturally developed within the startup ecosystem. And so my one of my co-founders, Adam, he's just a friend of mine. Uh, he's a good friend. He's in banking and analytics. Um, and and I was just talking to him about this because I knew he would think it was crazy. I was like, can you believe this? Like, listen less than 3% of all venture funding goes to people of color. Like it's crazy. And he'd be like, are you sure? Like, like he just didn't like, it's like, these are numbers that like people don't believe like they're, 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 they're that bad. And, and so he started like validating it. And he was like, all right, I checked it out. Like, you're right. Like this seems like such an easy space to win in, which is very naive, but, um, <laughs> but we were like, well, what can we do? And, and we, we just thought about this platform. Well, we thought about a bunch of other stuff, but then eventually we got to this platform that was like, all right, so we just need to populate founders on one side. We need to populate investors on the other side and just let investors filter by the things they care about from an investor perspective, ignoring the demographics of the founder. So if you like companies geographically in the Midwest that have $100,000 in revenue and they are in the fintech space, like we need to let investors filter by that and we can solve their pipeline problem. We can have the pipeline ready for them of all the people that are not going to get there for, for connections. And so that's roughly what we built. Um, it, it, you know, it was an MVP, so it didn't do all the things that I would have wanted it to do. Um, but more or less, that's what it was. Um, we launched that MVP in March of 2020. Um, our, our entire launch strategy was around South by Southwest. We were like, I'm, we're going to go to South by Southwest. We're going to get on people's radar. And then COVID hit and we were like, I guess we are not doing that. Um, and there were some positives from that. Got to make connections quicker and easier than I, I would have, um, certainly nationally and even globally. Um, but we, coming out of 
that spring of 2020, like we were just, neither of us are technical. And, and so we were like way behind. We're like, we don't know what to do. Like we got to bring someone in here. And the other the same problem so we were like we need a voice on our team of people that can of like somebody that can help us like represent our audience in an appropriate way like we need to walk the walk on this and so i reached out to nadia johnson who is a prominent ecosystem builder here in milwaukee she leads the milky way tech hub initiative and i reached out to her looking for referrals i was like hey like who do you know that would be interested in this and she was like, me, I'm interested. Uh, she, she was like, this is like, I don't have time, but I want to do this. Like, I believe in this thing. And we were like, I was like, great, like, this is perfect. And so that was kind of, that's, that's how we got the idea. That's how we got Nadia on board. She was able to push out a much, much better version of our, our site that was cleaner and more functional. And that helped us grow a little bit. And then, and then acquisition happened. Wow. That is very exciting. So and when did that all first start? Because I guess, yeah, how many years ago did you get the idea? Uh, so I, idea was like for, first starting to be formulated in 2019. Um, and we were playing with stuff. But the MVP of the site, like when it first hit, like the public could use it was March of 2020. It's fun time. Yeah. Um, so now that did you I get a lot of sleep? I'm sorry, Nick. I keep talking over you. You go ahead. Um, <laughs> I was just gonna say this now that you know the formulation of it happened, acquisitions happened. Um, are you still being involved? Kind of what are the uh, the next steps going forward? Yeah, uh, really good question. So we all are going to be taking advisory roles at least with Startup Fuel. So we will be helping kind of guide and navigate where within our areas of expertise and helping that company grow and continue to grow. Um, I there's some opportunities for us to stay on potentially in more serious roles, but we're kind of still working through those, those details. Gotcha. Um, I have another question. First, I want to say, I really like your name. I don't know how your parents came up with it, but it's awesome. <laughs> um, and two, for underrepresented um, founders who are looking for funding, what would you say is their best, like fastest way to kind of get, in the pipeline, so to speak? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and the short answer is like, well, just the realistic answer is that their life is going to be harder and it's not fair and it's not right, but it's just the reality. Um, and so the best things they can do, uh, best things underrepresented founders can do is look for kind of the low hanging fruit of intros because warm intros are still king in venture funding. And so looking for the people that are gonna already be on your side. So there are a few people, excuse me, that are kind of like built in on your side. Um, economic development groups. So like in, in our state in Wisconsin, um, WEDC, the Wisconsin Economic Development Corps, like their whole job is to spur economic development. And so they are more interested in just helping startups exist. And they, they're, they're um, incentives are different than investors so they're more likely to help you get off the ground um similarly like there will be a lot of times individual groups that are specifically supportive of whatever your background demographic is so we already talked about milky way tech hub but like we have the wwbic here in wisconsin which is the wisconsin Bi women's business initiative coalition something like that uh, i call it WIVIC. Um, and they are technically for everybody, but they specialize in helping women start businesses and get them off the ground. And so looking for some of those low hanging fruit to help with a resources, but really be network like those people that are in the space that are plugged in in the economic development side. They know investors, they know programs and they know how to connect. So trying to find those connectors. Um, the other thing that and this is not necessarily for underrepresented founders, just for founders in general is like start building relationships with investors before you actually need money from them. Um, and it's a really, it's a lot easier than it sounds. Like most investors get into, most investors really like startups. Like I can tell you at some point in my life, I would love to be on the other side of the table deploying capital. I think that's the easiest way to make a real impact. Like I love startups, but when I talk to investors that love startups, what's problem what's problematic about being an investor 
is in, when you're a founder, you get to say yes, and you get to figure out how, and you get to work together and collaborate. When you're an investor, your job becomes to say no. You have to filter out a bunch of companies that all look good. And so you say no all the time. And so if you are a founder and you are going to trying to build a relationship with an investor, go ask questions about your business or your market or how they invest. Start building those relationships before you're asking for money because investors love those conversations because they don't get to have them. They get to have a lot of no conversations. So when somebody comes and says like, hey, I'm exploring a market that you invest in. I'm trying to figure out X, Y, and Z and how my business can work. Can I? Can you give me some thoughts on what I should be doing? Like that is a really easy entry point to talk to an investor and, and likely get your foot in the door. That's really interesting. Um, kind of turn the page a little bit um you mentioned earlier in our conversation that you switched to you know the startup um, from corporate kind of for the culture fit um you can go into what that means for you and kind of the the nuances of, of kind of what you what you mean with that yeah of course um so for me i so i graduated college in 2009 so we were just on the edge of kind of the economic recession and like I felt like among my friend group, like we were all, we were all just so grateful that anyone was giving us a job. We were we were so grateful to have a job that like none of us even questioned whether we were happy or unhappy. None of us questioned if we enjoyed like where our career trajectory was going. We were all just like, whoo, we got a job. We got a 401k. We got health insurance. Oh, my God, we did it. OK. And and so it was like seven years into working ish. Um, I. I like had a really good job on paper. I, I I was leading a you know a team that over like I had you know twelve direct reports overseeing a hundred people um, all within operations and like on paper it was great. And was this at Bright Sellers? No, this was before Bright Sellers. Oh, so Bright okay. Sellers Bright Sellers is when I moved. So Bright Sellers was next. Bright Sellers is where mm -hmm. I went to the startups. This was in a construct for a construction company. Gotcha. And um and again like. I was like, it was the first time where like, I could almost felt selfish to be like unhappy, if that makes sense. I was like, well, this is a great job. Like, this is a great job. And I still have peers that have had a hard time finding work. Like, what are we going to like? But I was just like, I was like, I am not happy. Like it was, and a lot of it was industry. Like construction was not particularly innovative. It was exceedingly hierarchical. I was always the youngest person in the room. And I was just like, I need a change. Like, I just need to feel something that's more dynamic. And so like, I, I literally was like, I had, well, had built up no network. I didn't even know networking was a thing I should do. As a side, no one should actually network. Everyone should be collaborative and help each other with projects. That's a much better way to network. You'll find real assets there. Don't go to networking events. They're the worst. Yeah. Um, but coming back to this. So I like didn't I didn't know what to do. Like I didn't know I I Googled startups Milwaukee. And so I happened to find Bright Sellers right after they finished their seed round, right after they got through generator. And they didn't even have a good role for me put posted. Like I I applied for an entry-level customer service job. I was like, I just want to get in the door. And and within the interview, like like I was interviewing with the member experience director, and then like she stepped out for a second CEO came in and was like, Hey man, like you don't want to do this job. I was like, sure I do. You know, he's like, nah, but like, he's like, it's fine. Like you don't have to say you do, but like, let's talk about what you could do. Like, obviously you want to be here. Like, let's figure it out. Like we could use your help. Like there's a bunch of stuff you can do that we could use help. And so, um, I came into, and I, so I came into ops role and kind of helped them scale up op, the, the operation side of their business. And that's a huge company now. Yeah, they're doing really, really good. Yeah, I mean, I see ads for them all the time. I think my mom's bought from them a few times too. The the CEO there, um, Richard, is like a, a for CPG consumer packaged goods. He's a marketing genius. Like he is, yeah. he's such a hustler. So he he started in like a vitamin and nutrition space. And he used to like literally go and put his products on the shelf at Walgreens before like they would carry the product so that somebody would hopefully buy it and they'd scan it and be like, this doesn't even work. Like what's going on here? Just to like try to like garner interest at the corporate level. He's, uh, I learned. That's so smart. <laughs> I learned so, so much from him that I wish I, I wish I realized how much I was learning in real time um, because like, it's really hard to be a startup founder and it's really hard to be a startup founder when teams start getting bigger. And there are a lot of things that like now that like 
I'm in that position, which I wasn't then. I'm like, oh, that's why you did that. Like, oh, that makes sense. Like, I know we butted heads about this, but now I 100% agree with you. Like, you were really smart about that and I didn't get it. So he's he's a he's a phenomenal startup founder. Wow. I mean, mm-hmm. hindsight's always 2020. So I'm sure that everyone kind of feels that way. But at least now that you're kind of going through those same experiences, you can kind of pull back on those memories and yes and i do for sure i think back but usually it's like with me being embarrassed like where i think back and i'm like oh yeah he was right again like that's another one where he was right okay have you ever reached out to him about it just yeah 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 we (laughs) we, we're still friendly um i still occasionally will play right i guess covid covid kind of we we i haven't seen seen him since covid but before that we were still playing volleyball and basketball together oh that's awesome can you go into some of those you said you butted head a few heads a few times or you maybe thought he was wrong about something in retrospect he wasn't um yeah could you tell some of those stories that sounds kind of interesting um yeah for sure well okay here's a really good one yeah uh, startups are cool like, like they just they're they're cooler for lack of a better term and there are a lot of people who just want to be around startups and want to be in the space and it's an exciting space to be and Richard, CEO there, was really heads down for the most part. Like he was like, I want to build this product. I want to build this company. And I felt like he actually wasn't leveraging PR and marketing opportunities enough because he would be like, he, he today still, he could be one of the most prominent um, founders like in Milwaukee. And he just doesn't do a lot of like panels. He doesn't do a lot of talks. He doesn't do a lot of press. And and I always thought it was like, well, what a missed opportunity. Like you're getting all this free publicity. You're getting all this opportunity to kind of like let people learn about bright sellers. And, and he was like, totally right. Like once I like got over into that seat and like, I would get some of those same opportunities and I actually had to balance them against like my own bandwidth. Like I wasn't, when you're a founder, you, you don't get time off when you're an employee, you kind of work a nine to five ish. Like, sure. There's some times where it's fluctuates, but like, he would have to balance all of those opportunities that came his way and make a decision. Like, is this actually a good use of my time or would it be better spent like managing the marketing team? Like, would it be better spent like looking at the analytics for the performance of the site? Would it be better spent doing this? And I think truthfully, I think a lot of founders, especially when you get to a certain level, like that spotlight's bright and it's kind of fun. Like it's fun to be there. And and he never fell for it. And he was always like more focused on growing his company and more focused on his product. And and that, that's something I, I really admire now that I've been over here because there are a lot of people like there are a lot of people that want to stroke your ego. Like it's a lot of like, like being a founder when things are going well is like, it's very validating. It's very good for your ego and to not lean into that and let it take your business off course is, is like, it takes a, like, I don't know that I would have been able to do it myself had I not seen him do it as kind of like from a, from like a mentorship perspective. Because it's just like, it's fun. It's fun to go hobnob and it's fun to rub elbows with cool people. Yeah. And I mean, you said it kind of all started in 2019 and now the acquisition just ended. For those two years, I mean, how did you manage your time? I'm sure it was very tempting to just stay up late every day and really not take time for yourself um, to kind of fast track things as much as possible. But like you said, it is, it's important to try to figure out that work-life balance. So how did you kind of manage that process, I guess? Oh, I wish I had a, I wish I had a good answer for you. I've got, um, I'm still somebody that like deadlines, like I'm, I'm a procrastinator and then I'll hit deadlines and then I'll grind for 12 hours to get something done to make sure it's good enough. I, I, I am not actually that good at balancing it. Um, the one thing that helps is I like having a lot to do. Um, that's been, I mean, fundamentally, that's been the biggest difference since going into work for myself or certainly going to work for myself, but even going to work in startups versus kind of the previous role is like, I am working so much more than I ever was before, but I enjoy it. So it's a little bit different. Like it doesn't feel like work in the same way that like there there were times where I'd be annoyed when I would, you know, not be able to leave by 5.30. And I'd be like, oh, I can't believe I can still here at 5.30. And now I'm like, whatever, like I, <laughs> I gotta keep going. Like and that just doesn't kind of stop. Um, the other thing though, um, I, 
I, I sometimes struggle with the term even work-life balance because it mm-hmm. to me it kind of implies that like work and life are separate and they need they need to balance themselves out. And I am much more of like a work-life integration, like where like and that it's harder to navigate, but like I like am way cooler like taking two hours out in the middle of the day to like go do something that is, you know, for me or spend time with my daughter or whatever I need to do. And then know that like, I'm probably going to have to work later, but that's okay. And then like, or like go do something with family, but then know that like, yeah, I'm probably still gonna have to check emails and like, they have to be like, it's more communicative. Like I have to let them know like, Hey, I'm going to have to check emails. So like my choices are like, I stay here and I keep working or I come with you, but I got to be on email. So like, if you're going to be annoyed that I'm on email and not hundred percent present, like I probably shouldn't come. So can we like, and so, but figuring that once you navigate that and get to a place where like, you're always sort of working, but you're never like, you know, burning yourself out. Like as long as you don't get to that burnout place, it's okay. But no, I don't have any like super sweet tactics for you. I am not the person that's like, Hey, I, you know, I, I start every day writing down my three, 10 goals and I cross out the seven I'm not going to get to like, that's not me. I'm the person that's like, I'm going to do it all. And I'm going to figure it out. And then hopefully I don't die. You know, I, I like that because that's not necessarily me either. Every year I try to get a planner and every year I finish the year with maybe two pages filled out in the planner. Um, yeah. But it always gets done somehow. So right. yeah, I like that method. And you say you don't really have any interesting tactics, but one that point that one that stuck out to me was I really like that you communicate with your family about spending time with them because kind of giving them that option and opening with honesty about, hey, I might have to check emails probably makes them feel a lot more like a priority so that when you do check those emails, it's not that you're not present. It's just that it's work hours technically. So yeah. I think that's a great tactic. I, I mean, I think I... I have always tried to be super transparent, like no matter my role, like even like with employees, I'm like, look, I'm going to be as transparent as I can with you. Like at some point, there's some stuff I can't tell you, but I'll tell you everything I can up until the place where I can. And it served me well. (laughs) I don't have to worry about like remembering what I told one person or remembering what I told someone else. I don't have to worry about presenting myself in a certain way. Like I just am usually like, yeah, this is what's going on. I'm happy to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, man. even when you uh, said to Ash that he needed to, you know, buy out your company, that's something that you got to pretty quickly. And I'm sure a lot of people would mull that over and probably have a little bit of anxiety about saying something like that to someone that they're trying to, I guess, impress. Not that you're necessarily trying to impress him, but build that yeah. relationship with. And I think that, I mean, clearly being open and transparent about it worked out really well and probably garnered respect for you too that you were able to just be honest about what you needed Um, but a lot of people I think struggle with that that's kind of you to say I I think I mean ultimately I think authenticity and kindness are undervalued in our world and like I, I I've joked I just keep falling upward because of kindness like I just am like happy to like talk to people and happy to share my thoughts and happy to help other people And, and it's really like when I was saying like networking sucks, like networking does suck, but helping other people, it feels great. And a lot of times it opens all kinds of new doors for you. Yeah. Um, it's, it sounds like in the past years, you've had a lot of, a lot of things go well. You said you've kind of been falling upwards. Um, I think it's interesting to kind of talk about things that haven't panned out or things that haven't gone the way you hoped. Um, are there any things that stick out for you that that feel that way? Um, yeah, I mean, I, probably the biggest one is just not being able to find an investor for Uncrowd. Like, I, I, I literally like feel like I'm sort of a subject matter expert in the space, and I could never close the deal for Uncrowd. I, I think a lot of it speaks to just is there an appetite for it um, at this time? But I, I also think like there's there was problems with it that like from that I just could never overcome from an investor perspective. Um, I would have loved to have been able to scale that entire mission up um, specifically through there, but it just wasn't meant to be. I, I think that's the part that I, 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 I'm happy. To, like, I'm glad you brought that up, Nick, because I'm like happy to talk about some of those things that are just like, yeah, it's not even less failures, but more luck is probably the better way to put it. Like where it's like so much of this is just timing. Like I, 
the the uncrowd story like the 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 opening to the final chapter of the uncrowd story to me is like such a perfect example of what it's like being a founder so we took uncrowd through a milwaukee program called 4m um which is like an ideation stage incubator accelerator like basically like for companies it, if it's your first foray into a tech startup and you don't know where to start at all, like 4M is there. They're a really great resource. And so we took OnCrowd through that program and we um, they were giving away grants um, for six companies. And we were asked to be one of the companies to pitch. And there was, I think, 10 companies pitching. And we were not considered one of, we, we took seventh. We were not considered one of the sixth most promising companies from one Milwaukee incubator accelerator. And that was like, oh, all right, I guess not. And then that same, but that same week, we won an international pitch competition for financial equity and inclusion. And then that later that week is when we started the conversation with Ash for acquisition. And so what I like want founders to know, I don't, I don't bring that story up because I'm salty. I know sometimes it sounds like I'm salty and I don't mean it that way. I just want founders to know like so much is like, right audience, right place, right time. And so like, like the Milwaukee audience we were talking to on that specific day, like, eh, we just didn't jive. Like it, it just didn't, it didn't make sense. That didn't mean that it was a collective no from the universe. It, it and suddenly like we were in a different pitch competition where it was, this is actually a wild story. I was like having to pitch at 3 AM cause it was central Europe. And, oh my goodness. And, and it was like international and like there was a judge from Canada and a judge from South Africa and they were like, we love it. This is amazing. And it was like, okay, great. Like, this is awesome. And then like, and then later that week, I'm like starting to have like acquisition conversations. And, and because like, I happened to meet Ash from one intro from somebody else at the right time. And it's just like, that's sometimes what it is. Like it, it's just the timing works or the audience works. The world works in mysterious ways. When it comes to finding an investor or, you know, finding that opportunity, like it's not, you don't need all the yeses. You actually only need one yes. You just need mm -hmm. one investor to say yes. You need one acquirer to say yes. I think that's great advice. And then, yeah, just really don't take those losses to heart too much. Because like you said, it doesn't mean it's a collective no from the universe just because people in Milwaukee didn't jive with you one right. day. Yeah, exactly. This is kind of very difficult. I think it's now that we're kind of in the hopefully beyond it. Um, I know that you said Uncrowned kind of got started in March 2020, um, timing with the uh, little pandemic we had. Um, I guess how that changed. The little pandemic we had. <laughs> that, little, that baby pandemic. Yeah, just yeah. the little one. Hopefully that is not the little one, but. No. <laughs> um, I think takeaways for you. I mean, I think it changed how we all operate um, for about a year and a half there. Um, yeah, I, I would say, so personally, like I, I think like a, like a micro level, like it, it made me really think about the future of work in an interesting way, like where like the idea of, like essentially if you build a big office building, at least previously, like you were essentially saying like, I've decided that my entire talent pool is going to come from a 30 mile radius of this building I just made, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Mm -hmm. And so now, like, I think there's going to be a lot more flexibility and remote opportunities, which I actually think is going to be really good for innovation and, and, and just accessibility. I think, I think geography is just going to matter a lot less which i think is a good news for like small cool cities like milwaukee and madison that like mm -hmm. can you know support someone living there and then let them work wherever they their company is working um at kind of a broader level i, I think the biggest thing was the normalization of video chat like we're doing right now has like made the world so much more accessible to me so when i was originally getting into venture funding like getting outside geographically of where we were was so hard i had to like figure out a time to like like am i gonna have to fly to boston to like meet with somebody am i gonna have to fly to L like san francisco to meet with investors like it was expensive and then like once this happened like it was like 
cool. Investors get it. It's actually better for investors too. They can just like, they don't need to be somewhere. They can just do this from the convenience of their couch if they want to. And, and so I've been able to have conversations with like investors in locations I, I never would have talked to, but also at levels, like strategic levels that I ne- it would have taken me years to get there through like normal warm intros that it were just like, cool. Yeah. I'll jump on a call with you. Let's chat. Like, what do I, I've got nothing, you know what I'm, yeah, I'm figure it out. And, and so the access has been like a light, like a, a light years faster. By, by just having some normalization of video chat. It's yeah, it's weird thinking back to the rules we had in place surrounding not doing video chat. Yeah. It's yeah. honestly weird to think about times when this wasn't, you know, very normal to video chat because now it seems like a huge part of my life. Even I work in an office right now. And even then I video chat people probably a few times a day, just reaching yeah, out to yeah. other companies and whatever it may be. And it's so convenient and nice. And I mean, it was huge with school too, because me and Nick both, you know, were in, at Madison last year. And even when the pandemic kind of started clearing up a little bit and I had in-person classes, they were still always online optional, which yeah. was great. I mean, I could go home for a week if I wanted to see my family. And I think that, yes, it's great for innovation, but it also is good for that work-life integration yep. that you're talking about because you have a lot more flexibility to leave the office at noon and then take those calls you need to take without having to be in person or whatever it may be. So I think it definitely will be very helpful moving forward. Well the thing the other thing I like about it is like I I'm fairly extroverted. Like I I am like probably an office guy like for the most part like or at least like when when I wasn't, when I was still working for myself, but like pre-pandemic, like I would be a coffee shop guy. Like I wanted to be where there was activity. I wanted to be around people. I wanted to hear that. But like, I have friends who are introverted that are like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. Like I'm more productive than I've ever been. Like I get to, and so like, for even just so like kind of in the same like concept of the like deciding a building is where you're going to find your talent, deciding that like everyone has to work in this exact same way. is kind of like sounds silly now, like when we say it, right? Like, of course, there are some employees that would rather work from their home office where it's quiet and they have the, the comforts of home. Like, of course they would. And, and so like creating just a more personalized and flexible and understanding like economy, I think is useful. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Um, touching on kind of leadership too a little bit because you've kind of grown into that role. It sounds like in the past few years. Um, kind of what have you struggled with so far in leading? Kind of what what have you kind of learned along the way? What is what do you not expect that it kind of came up for you? So my first job was um, the. One of the teams that I was working over was a um, promotions team, which was like a essentially like for lack of a better explanation, commission door to door sales, um, which was like exceedingly high turnover and exceedingly high like data focused expectations. And so I fired too many people, way too many people. Um, and, and but that was a really good learning experience for like how to lead in that way. And, and so what I had done it first was like, I got way too friendly with employees, way too friendly where like, A, they felt like, like they were protected by me, which they weren't. And they, and, and my friendliness led them to believe it. Um, B, like I was not building boundaries for myself, like where I was like, oh, I'm going to have to fire a friend like this hurts. So after that happened, I kind of pendulum swung the other way. And like, especially for like, how I am now, it is like, I can't even believe this, but like picture like whatever, like your dick boss in a movie is like, that was basically me where I was like, like in my head, I was like, yeah, I know. I, but I was basically yeah, I like, like I've been, that from you. <laughs> well, I, I was like, I, I've burned, I've been burned too many times. People like trusted, like <laughs> to work for me, like didn't. And then they tried to like get favors. So I'm just going to be friends with nobody. And like, that sucked. Like it sucked. Like I I did it for a little while and it was the worst. And like, I wasn't happy. My employees weren't happy. Like no one was happy aside from like the numbers, the numbers were happy, I guess. (laughs) So like, I learned to like find this, like, honestly, that's what, 
that's where like my transparency came from was where I was like, I want to be cool with you. Like, I want to be super cool with you. I still have to be boss. Like, I still have to hold you accountable. So like, I'm going to be as chill with you as I can. But like, you have to know that like, if you don't do your job, I have to fire you. Like, those are the responsibilities that I have. And on the flip side, like, I will let you, you know, I will give you all the freedom you need to like, um, and, and so like finding that way, that navigation of like, how, how am I going to be as a leader in a way that like is going to be safe for me? Let's start there. I'll say safe for me as a boss to like not feel awful, but also not keep getting my heart broken by people that I thought were my friends. Um, at the same time, like how do I not mislead employees and like make employees feel comfortable and welcome and feel like they are part of the team? And, and a lot of that just came from authenticity, like like just you know, uh, being being real. And like we we all have our jobs to do, but it doesn't mean we can't be cool when we're doing them. And let's make it happen. I really like that. Um, kind of another um, page turn here. Um, I don't know if this makes sense, but I guess it's kind of relevance. Bucks won NBA title last night. Um, maybe it's a little bit corny, but I guess what would be like a championship? For you like what would be you know pop champagne we did it that makes sense uh good question i i i will say from like the resume perspective the acquisition is kind of the ring like it it really is like that is there, there's kind of these different levels of a startup which is like i go from ideation to a product i have something i made something that and and really, this is how like investors think too. So investors are trying to de-risk whatever they're working on. And so the further developed you are or your product are is the more it's helpful. And so you kind of have these layers of like, nobody is giving anybody any money for an idea. It's not going to happen except like if you've been, you know, a, a, a unicorn founder previously in San Francisco and they're just like, whatever, your idea sounds great. We'll give you $50 million. But for the most part, your idea doesn't matter. Then So the next thing is like, did you actually do something with it? Like, do you have a product? Do you have a, an MVP something? Like that automatically is like a step further than anyone who has a good idea. Then the next kind of step there is like, do you have people using it? Like, can you demonstrate traction? Do you have, can you show that this is actually viable? Then the next step from there is like, do you have revenue? And in revenue, like having revenue as a startup founder, like automatically puts you in kind of the top tier for like raising for fundraising. But then it becomes like scale of revenue and scale of things within that. But that acquisition is kind of like the thing that can't be taken away where like no matter whatever project I'm working on next or whoever I'm supporting or when I'm pitching another product, like whether the investor believes in what I'm pitching or not, they can't take away the fact that like I've done this before, like successfully, and I can prove it in like a very tangible way. This isn't like me spinning the numbers. This isn't me presenting an opportunity in a certain way. This is like a real thing where like it just can't be taken away. So so the acquisition is kind of the ring for me. Um, when I think about like what I want for my career, though, and like what will feel like the I'm achieving what I want to achieve, I really, really, really want to like... My goal with Uncrowd was that I thought I was going to be able to get capital to underrepresented founders. I really believed that. When I say I was naive, it's because I had to convince a bunch of investors that actually didn't care about a pipeline problem and maybe had some other biases in there to use the platform in the right way and actually do that. So I still believe fundamentally the way that I can make the biggest impact is by directly investing into um, the founders that I think are underfunded. And, and so that's, that's probably the pop champagne moment for me is when I get into a position where I can do that, either that, uh, either as an angel, because things work out well for me, um, or just through a fund where I get the opportunity to, you know, to, some other people with money, trust me enough that I know what I'm doing, that I can deploy money for them. That, that will be when I will be happy is when I get to see other founders, um, succeeding with capital that I've given them. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a great answer and a great goal to strive for. And honestly, if I was asked the same question, I wouldn't have an answer nearly that good. I still don't even know what is gonna be out there for me after next year. I guess. Well, but, you got you guys have you guys have plenty of time to decide. 
Yeah, that's what everyone says. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't always feel that way, but I, I, I want to believe you. So, <laughs> yeah, just a day at a time, I guess. It'll, it'll all happen. It'll all fall into place. I guess along those lines, since we're nearing our hour anyway, one final question is advice to young people like us who are kind of trying to find our way in the world, maybe in startups or venture capital or I guess whatever. Yeah. I mean, I would say if anything, take some of those lessons from COVID like, and, and apply them where like, there is no right path. Like you, you can do things the way you want to do them and you can be successful. Um, and a lot of times that's controversial in the Midwest um, where, where it feels like there's a certain path that you're supposed to follow to success in a particular way. But like, you don't need to do it that way. Um, you can, and there's nothing wrong with it. That's the other thing too. Like, I, I feel like sometimes I sound a little preachy about like the startup world. Like, I, I don't mean that either. Like I have friends that like would, that are totally successful and happy and they're, they're very, like, I would never work with them, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they're good people. And, and so like, um, but like you can carve your own way and, and you can do it successfully. And, and I guess even kind of the broader feeling in that is like you deserve to be happy like like no one nobody nobody should be working for 40 hours a week for the rest of their life at something that they're not happy in and and so like if you're not like work toward it because you deserve it that's great advice um i guess um, last last question that we usually do every time um uh, i guess you're one of our younger guests so this is maybe a little bit different but um with the time you've got you know left which is a lot uh, frankly <laughs> <laughs> the time you've got left um, it sounds so looming <laughs> i know i know what do you what do you want to do with it what are, you, what are your folks if you're to I guess if you're to put your your focuses in three areas what would it be um good question yeah i i think you're catching me at an interesting time because i'm kind of feeling that out right now like the acquisition was kind of an exhale moment and figuring out what the the next move is for me um truthfully i would love a little more stability like i i, I love this world and i love and i love staying in it but like i i stability would be attractive <laughs> if i could if i could know like some of those things that I was grateful for when I first got into the work and working world, like I wouldn't mind getting back to a place where I can have a 401k and some health insurance. That would be great. Um, but I probably would want to stay. I mean, I, I, I think I'll always end up staying plugged into the startup space. Um, it's, this is just like, this is where I want to be. And I like the people in this space. Um, I'm hoping to do, I, I'm hoping to do some things where I can at least help founders navigate the, the venture funding landscape, um, whether that's just me talking to them and helping them through it, or perhaps tying in some resources. Um, I, I'm a firm believer in the potential for Milwaukee as a successful tech ecosystem. Um, we have all of the markers of what would be a, a good tech ecosystem. We have Fortune 500s, we have, uni we have um, research universities, we have programs that are supportive, and we are so far behind. We are so far behind like we're way behind Madison and then collectively as a state, we're way behind the Midwest. And so I, I don't see that as a failing. I just see that as like future opportunity. So I would love to pull, I think a lot of times Milwaukee and Wisconsin in the venture ecosystem tend to be a little myopic. We do a lot of like for Wisconsin by Wisconsin or for Milwaukee by Milwaukee, or we do something where we're like, well, Silicon Valley is doing it this way. We have to do it too. And it's just not going to work because we're not Silicon Valley. And so I would love to try to pull some of my resources into Milwaukee to help kind of accelerate that tech ecosystem growth. Um, like I, I feel 100% confident that there are venture investors in Milwaukee that are going to get rich because they're going to make the smart bets in, in, in companies that are here. I would just like to accelerate that. That's pretty cool. That Ash, is cool. Anything else, Ashley? I don't think so. All right. Well, at least not right now. <laughs> well, I'm I'm available. Happy happy to answer questions anytime. That's actually great to hear. I'll probably take you up on that offer. Please do. All right. Well, thank you very much for us for coming on. We appreciate you taking the time.
Um, and yeah, wish you a uh, good rest of the summer. Make sure to stay outside. Yeah, all the best. I'll be following what you're up to. All right. I feel like you'll be going places. Hopefully <laughs> I will be too. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying in Milwaukee. <laughs> Uh, maybe you'll go places. Hopefully, I maybe I can go places in Milwaukee. How about that? Yeah, yeah maybe one day I'll make a company and then I'll be pitching to you. There you go. Yeah. That'll be great. Maybe I, I can come work for you when you when you're a big success. <laughs> Perfect. Even better. All right. All right. Have a good one, guys. Thank yeah. you. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for coming.